Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksam Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled Empathy, Finding One's Heart by Lama Kathy Wesley. Empathy is getting a lot of attention these days in the media, with some saying it's a positive skill to cultivate, while others say it weakens our competitive edge in worldly affairs. What did the Buddha have to say about empathy? And how can we cultivate a healthy connection with other sentient beings? This talk will explore these questions and more. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Tixum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, so um, the first, first things first, the, the sort of important thing is I just want to thank all of you for being here today and tell you how much I appreciate uh, you uh, coming out today. And I'm going to, like, embarrass Aaron in, in public. We have two former board members here today. Uh, we actually, we have several fa- former board members here today, but, uh, but uh, Aaron Blue is here. And I saw Linda. I don't see Linda now, so... She didn't stay? Okay. Linda, Linda McCart, our, one of our previous directors, was here, and Aaron Blue, uh, our, one of our previous directors, was here, and then Steve Phelan, our, the treasurer who helped us uh, put uh, all of the bookkeeping together that we're using here at the center now. So thank you very much, you know, for just showing up from, from places near and far. You know, it's like, how, how do you like the place? Looks pretty good, huh? Yeah, okay, that's good. They approve. Um, this, this morning's talk is uh, on the topic of empathy. Uh, and there was a reason I wanted to talk on this particular topic, and it was because I'm, I think that many folks right now are feeling a little pinch in their social life because there's a lot of disagreement going on in all quarters of the world. Um, nations are at war. Um, there's a lot of scary stuff going on, and uh, and I think that our ability to be empathetic to other human beings is kind of it's not like if if we were to take a reading, you know, like you, you like you change when you want, get ready to change your oil, you have to read your oil level in your car, you know. I, I think that uh, we're going to be reading on low when it comes to empathy. And so we, I think because when there's so much going on, we feel a lot of pressure, we feel a lot of stress, and, uh, and empathy can kind of get squeezed out of our being because we are just too busy taking care of what needs to be taken care of in order to live. And, uh, and for some, this is, this is a newer phenomena. For others, it is as old as time. The, 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 the feeling of a lack of empathy from others, it's like it's an old feeling. And so I thought that it would be good to talk a little bit about the Buddhist approach to empathy and to talk a little bit about how we can increase empathy within ourselves and increase empathy in our little sphere. But before I do that, I have to, to mention that this, uh, during this past week, we commemorated the 
third anniversary of the passing of Kempo Kartha Rinpoche, who was the uh, founder of this center. And, um, and I saw the ceremonies taking place uh, in, uh, in New York State and around of the world. And it, it really, it kind of just made me think about our history a little bit. And it made me think about all of our lives who were touched by Kempo Rinpoche and Bartotoko Rinpoche and all of the great masters who have taught for our center and at our center and what they've meant to us. I had a conversation this morning with one of the newer Dharma students who said to me, today or this week is my first anniversary of having taken Buddhist refuge. And he was really excited about it. Uh, he said, you know, uh, I said, well, as you look back at this year, what do you feel happened for you? And he said, you know, he said, it's, it was very slow in coming. He said, but he says, my personal feelings of nervousness and anxiety are a little better. And he said, the, but the other thing is I'm learning how to see things as they are rather than always trying to make things the way I want them to be. Again, it's about acceptance, finding a way to accept. And so if I look at what our teachers taught us, you know, all of our teachers have taught us about working with our mind because our mind is where everything happens. It's where we experience um, happiness. It's where we experience suffering. It's where we experience every single human emotion. It happens in our mind. And through the practice of meditation, as we've been taught by our masters, we've learned how to pay attention to what's important within us. And the practice of shamatha meditation, uh, this person who had just celebrated his first anniversary as a Buddhist, you know, um, shamatha meditation had a role in this for him because he learned how to let go of thoughts on the meditation seat. And when we learn that simple technique of just being paying attention to one thing rather than having our attention scattered in so many directions, when we are able to just do one thing, just being with the breath, coming and going and coming and going, it's so simple and yet it allows us to do something really amazing, which is take a break from the continuous noise that people like me and maybe some of you too experience in their day-to-day thoughts and chatter and so forth. We get a break. And when we get that break, at first it's a little weird because we're used to the noise and the silence is actually a little scary. But after we adjust and get used to the technique of just coming back, just coming back, just coming back, simple, incredibly simple, just one thing, just keep coming back, keep coming back to the breath, just keep coming back to the breath. And we, uh, that allows us to let go of everything. And uh, what uh, one person told me was, as they were learning meditation, they said, well, today I was able to let go of one big, ugly, hairy thought. You know, something that has troubled them for a very long time. 
but they were in meditation and suddenly from the, the silence of their inner application of the technique came this big, ugly, hairy memory or ugly, hairy thought. And at first, when these big, ugly thoughts come up in our mind, the ones that really knock us over, we tend to like cringe a little bit and, and like get out of the way so that that big, ugly, hairy thought won't swallow us up and eat us. But what this person, what this woman said to me was that I was able to look at that thought and it, it had a lot of energy behind it, she said, but I was able to look at that thought and basically say, not now. I'm not having that thought, not right now. I'm going to let that one go. And she said, and she said, many times I would let those big ugly thoughts go and then they come right back. But she said, this time it disappeared. And there was this space and she said it was almost scary that this space opened up within her mind and she didn't have to think that thought anymore. She felt this immense relief. And this is the gift that our masters have given us by teaching us meditation. They've given us the gift of giving ourselves back to us. It's, uh, the, the, the words came to me last week that this kind of practice allows us to inhabit our own strength, okay? We all have a natural amount of strength inside of us, but we may or may not be able to access that strength. And one of the gifts of meditation is that it allows us to inhabit the strength we already possess and to own it and to be with it and to be able to let go of even the biggest, ugliest thought. So, if we can let go of those thoughts, we also can generate new thoughts, new thoughts, new patterns, new habits to replace the big ugly ones that are being let go of. That's why Buddhism teaches both letting go of negativity on one hand, but increasing virtuous mind states on the other hand increasing the virtuous mind, which is the mind that wants to benefit others, the mind that wants to take care of oneself, have compassion for oneself, even have caring for oneself. It's that space that opens up that allows us to feel empathy for ourselves in some, time, in some cases. In some cases, we feel empathy for ourselves first but sometimes we feel empathy for others, people who are close to us that we care about, who we care about, these, these people. We can feel empathy sometimes more easily for others than for ourselves, but eventually it, it's gotta bleed through. If we're thinking about the suffering of others and placing ourselves in their place, then we can see the world as they see it and begin to know what we need to do in response. A lot of people tell me, oh, Buddhists, you, you Buddhists, you talk a lot about compassion, but you don't know the first thing about how to apply it. And the answer to that is yes. The reason for this is that we're still learning that part. We're, you know, we're getting better at letting go of negative 
patterns, but we haven't quite fully inhabited our strength and we haven't fully inhabited our virtuous mind. But that's okay because, you know, it's kind of inevitable that when we stop doing things that are harmful, we're going to start doing things that are helpful. So this is um, what I wanted to mention today was this idea that we give ourselves the gift of spaciousness through the practice of meditation. And in that space, we can learn how to strengthen the muscles of letting go by just coming back again and again. And by opening up that space, we have the option to do something different when we get pushed in one direction or another. And so um, I think that empathy is getting a bad reputation right now because some people see em being empathetic as being weak. There's a kind of a, there's a, a misapprehension that strength can only be shown by forcefulness and by exerting one's willpower over oneself and over others, especially over others. I remember one time I was serving on um, a, um, I was serving on a nonprofit board. It's, it, not, it wasn't here in, at KTC, but I was serving on a nonprofit board and I went go to Kempo Kartha Rupache and tell him my, my woes. You know, all well, this happened and all oh, this happened and all oh, this happened and he's like, you know what your problem is. Now you know you're really in for something when your teacher says to you, you know what your problem is. Because I had been his student by that time for like 30 plus years. And so I think he felt safe in being frank with me, being honest with me. He said, um, based on the story that you're telling me about all these people on this nonprofit board that you serve on, he says, um, based on what you're telling me, you're wasting your time because all you keep trying to do is overpower one another. And it's like, ouch. I wasn't even aware of it. I was so involved in my story. I wanted this to happen and somebody wanted that to happen and we clashed. So this, um, this lack of empathy that we're talking about in society happens to all of us. It happens to us in our family relationships. It happens to us in our work relationships. It happens to us in our service relationships where we forget about where the other person is and just live inside the story of I want this or I want that. And that person is in my way, therefore they must go. And this is where empathy can kind of die a little bit. Our empathy kind of dies a little bit when we exert this kind of willfulness. But this is where the gift of meditation also helps us because when you get better at meditating, you get better with quiet and silence. And, and if you can be okay with yourself being silent in a situation, just being silent sometimes is very powerful. Just being, just being present 
present with the person and silent and listening and present. And then an idea may arise in our mind because we're in an open space rather than a closed space. And an idea could come to us about how to reach across and feel what the other person is feeling and become aware of what the other person is experiencing. And so empathy actually isn't weakness at all. It isn't weakness at all. It's a kind of silent strength, the strength that's present, that can be present, can be with people who are hurting, and can be a source of strength actually for other people. And so empathy is not weakness, it's strength, because we choose not to be willful and to push back and forth against each other, but rather open to each other and say, what can we do here? What can we do here? And um, so um, I'm just talking around the subject a bit because I, I want everyone to know how rich the meditative environment is that we create when we sit and meditate. Um, I've been working with uh, the Meditation Marathon group this week, and it's been fun. I say, yay, Meditation Marathon group. We got, we got a couple people here who are on the calls and have been on the calls nightly for 10, almost today's the 10th day, the final day of Meditation Marathon. And, um, and uh, it, it's something that we publicized on Facebook and in our newsletter, but not everybody had the time to participate in but the 10 or so people who participated, we've had a really good time talking about how to make lasting change in our life by meditating every day for 10 days. It's been fun. And we raised about $1,000, so yay, yay us. We did two things. But uh, it, I've, it's really made me aware this week of the power, the, the silent power that is in meditation and that we can cultivate in our life. Um, I'm thinking, actually, that I want to um, invite people to talk. And I don't know how my time is. Oh, I've got a lot of time. Um, so what we, I might actually start the discussion a little early today because um, I think that, um, that with the topic, I've covered the topic from one direction well, let me, let me uh, approach it from one other direction, then we'll break for questions. Um, Kemba Kartha Rinpoche gave a teaching once on what are called the four immeasurable meditations. Loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And he often spoke about these in reverse, talking about equanimity first. And he said, when we talk about equanimity, he said, this is where empathy comes in, because he said, when we look at the world we're living in, there's like all of these humans, animals, birds, insects, fish, they're like moving constantly. They're constantly in motion. And what are they doing in this constant motion? They're trying to find happiness, security, safety for themselves and for their families. 
They just want to live. And, and he said, a lot of us forget that. A lot of us forget that they're just trying to, to make their way in the world and that we need to help them out. And so the Tibetan word for sentient being, you know, they, we talk about this in the prayers. And by the way, I do uh, ask your forgiveness because I got so wrapped up in the technical problems. I didn't start with the prayer like I usually do. So sorry about that. We're not gonna do it this minute, but I just wanna give a little commercial and say, whoops, sorry about that. Um, but the, the, the practice of equanimity leads to empathy. When we see that others are just like us, when we see that others want to be happy, they may do it in all the wrong ways from our point of view, but they still are doing what they are doing because they want to be happy. And the Tibetan word for sentient being, that's what I was, where I left off was uh, drowa, and that's spelled D as in David, uh, R-O-W-A, drowa. And that means those who go, those who move, those who go. Drowa, dro means to go, and wa is one who goes. So drowa, those who move. And Rinpoche said this constant motion is our attempt to be happy. He said you have to look at that, see that, appreciate that, and feel for that. And he says when you feel for that constant motion, then you can begin to feel for what people are going through as they try to be happy. And that gives birth to empathy. And that actually gives birth to love. Because the Buddhist definition of love is the wish for others to be happy. Just the wish for somebody to be happy, for others to be happy. And the Buddhist definition of compassion is the wish for others to be free from suffering. And if we live our life like this, wishing for the happiness of others and working for their benefit, we, we become happy and we become joyful. It's, it's, actually, it's actually scientifically proven that if you are generous and kind to others, you benefit. You get the brain chemistry of benefit from being kind to others. You know how it feels when you're really, really angry and you're all closed in and you, know, you feel really awful. But you also know how you feel when it's kind of tender-hearted. When you feel tender-hearted, I suspect this is the reason why kitty cat videos are so popular online. We need that. We need that oh, factor. We need to have the, you know, we need that. It's like, it's like a vitamin for us. We need it. Um, so you can make fun of funny cat videos all you want. It's okay. They're serving a medical purpose in many of our lives. In any case, um, this joy that comes from being giving and loving and kind is something that comes from within us. It's a source of happiness that is within us. We don't have to like get it from outside. It's something that's naturally happening within us that we can cultivate. And, uh, and, um, and that's why empathy is valuable because it leads to this wish for others to be happy, which is love. 
and the wish for beings to be free from suffering, which is what compassion is. So it gives birth to all of the richest human emotions. It gives birth to all of the richness of the human life. And, um, and so it's a, it's a natural thing that we can, uh, that we actually have. We don't have to like import it from somewhere. We already have it. We just have to allow our mind to relax so that we can experience it. So now, now I'm ready to, to close the topic of uh, empathy and see what you guys have to say because to me the question period is often the most interesting part of any Dharma talk. My, I have a friend who's a Christian minister and I said, I, I'm not sure you guys are ready for this, but how would it be if you did like a whole sermon where you just did a Q&A with the audience and they said, um, I'm a little terrified. Anyhow, um, but, um, but if you have questions, comments, whatever, I'd say, have at it. Go, Tim. Take it easy there. I'll try not to terrify you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, good morning. Um, I had a question, but uh, while you were talking about the, the um, boardroom experience of trying to overpower the other people, it reminded me of a situation that I was in where two of us were trying to get our way. <laughs> and at some point, I just, it occurred to me to just let go. So I said, let's just do what you want to do. And immediately that person said, no, let's do what you want to do. And I go, what? I mean, it's just like, it's like, what? <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So a my, very large space opened up in that relationship suddenly. Right. Yeah, okay. Uh, so my question is, could you compare and contrast the concepts of empathy and compassion? I mean, I don't quite see the difference, so I'd like yeah. a little insights there. I'm, I'm going to give that a try. Thank you for the example, too. That's pretty interesting. I, I, I also had one of those happen in my own life. I, I've been married, I've been married for almost 50 years, so okay. So my husband and I have had <clears throat> one or two arguments in that 50 years. And, uh, and I, remember, um, I remember stopping like right in the middle of an argument saying, you know, this is ridiculous. We don't need to do this. And he's like, we don't. <laughs> It really, it was a weird feeling. It was really, because once you do it, you're like, hey, what was that? What was I so upset about? Okay, compare and contrast. Here's what I think, you know, as uh, I, I tell people that because I have a journalism degree, I, ha I majored in words. I, I love words. So I majored in words. So I'm gonna give it my best. Here's what I think, where I think the difference is. I think that, the, uh, the, the ability to see yourself in another person. That's, I think, empathy. The ability to see yourself in another person, that's empathy, that's a feeling. And compassion, where you act, is, is more about action, where you actually want something for them. It's not that you just feel a kinship with them, which is empathy. So empathy is about feeling that kinship where you see yourself in another person. But compassion is where you actively want to do something to change the situation for them. 
but, and love is the same, where you actively want to change the situation for them to help them have happiness or to help free them from suffering. Um, uh, but it, and you're right, the, I think empathy is behind both of these. Because without the ability to see yourself in another person or feel that kinship with another person, how could you want them to be happy or how could you want them to be free from suffering? So I, I feel like empathy is a necessary precursor, but it happens, we feel that, that little pang of wanting to help someone. We feel the pang in, inside us of, of that kinship. Um, I'm going to tell you something that might you know, might be a little upsetting. One of the most painful experiences of my life was being confronted by a street child in India who needed money. And, uh, and uh, she was screaming just outside the window of my car as we were stopped in traffic. And it was one of the most terrifying, talk about terrifying, one of the most terrifying moments of my life because I realized there was nothing I could do. I give her money, somebody beats her to get it. I don't give her money, somebody beats her. There is no way around it because a lot of these children are running gangs. And so all I could do was pray for her in that moment. I saw her eyes. And that was it. That was the only thing I could give her that day, was presence. That's it. I could give her nothing else. And um, so it's sometimes it, it's hard to see yourself in other people. But that moment of connection where you connect with that person, there's a potential there for something to happen. Nothing could happen in that moment that I just described because it it, it, there was traffic, there were lots of people, it was a mess, I didn't know what to do. And, uh, but afterward, I thought about it and I made uh, a donation to the children's charity where they try to get kids off the street. Because that was all I could do, was to pay for an education for some child to get off the street. So anyway, that's just, but it's like, a, it's that, it's visceral, that moment where you see uh, my friends in 12-step recovery have a phrase. They say, there, but for the grace of God, go I, which means that could have been me in another world, in another life, in another situation. That could have been me. And that really gives birth to this, this wealth of feelings that can sometimes be translated into action if we have the wisdom and the skill to know what to do. So... Thank you. Excellent question. Yeah. So, yes. How am I doing? Thank you, Lama Kathy. Um, I think my question continues what you just, the example that you just started on, which is my empathy on the cushion is easy because it's aspirational. But when I step into the world, there's numerous examples of it's then how do I apply it you know in some cases it's like you know we i think it's fear driven you know limited resources so a, an argument about immigration you know oh they're going to take our stuff our health care our whatever and but are they really you know so there's how where's you know the empathy for the other argument and the empathy for the person that's trying for the better life 
the example of India, like some of the things, again, the struggles locally I've had with my own parents is like, if you've been in poor nations where the river they live on is the river where their sewage goes, but it's also their cooking water and their bathing water and it's everything. And then you see a treatment of someone's yard in their house in a similar fashion. That's not our custom, but maybe it's there, like the empathy there, or me having a yard full of dandelions and my neighbor has pristine grass because of all the fertilizers and weed killers, you know, different pers perspectives. And so when those different, how do you tap the empathy? How do you, where do you go with that in these, in the day to day? I, I really understand this and it really is a, it really is a conundrum because um, we are all so different from one another. We all look like human beings. We all have the, you know, the, whether our ears are big or small, uh, you know, we all have, we have human features, we have human bodies and, you know, but beyond that, what happens is um, we're all so incredibly different. And uh, uh, many people come from backgrounds in which they don't get a lot of love. And, uh, and that maybe even painful and terrifying things happen to them when they're young. And I think that this makes it difficult for them to feel empathy because it's, been, it's not been given to them to feel it. And I think that understanding that is super important because otherwise we would just judge people who have no empathy. We would judge them negatively and say, well, you know, that person isn't, doesn't really have a human heart. We might say something cruel like that about such a person. And I think that joining people in a common purpose that is beneficent is one way around that. And um, I was just recalling this conversation the other day. This may or may not totally address what your, your question is, because your question is really big. You know, because like, how do we go into this world every day? And I'll get to that part of the question in a second, but I did want to say, um, I was interviewed um, about 15 years ago for um, a study on the effects of religious uh, practices in America. It, it, you know, it was like Rutgers University was doing a, a cross-cultural, cross-religious study about how religion informs our everyday life. And, um, and right before the end, the teaching assistant, the PhD candidate who was interviewing me um, said, what do you think is the greatest uh, problem facing our youth today? And, uh, and I said, um, purposelessness, feeling that they have no purpose or meaning in their life. And then the interviewer said, well, how would you fix that? How would you fix their lack of purpose? And I said, well, I went to Catholic school and, and here's what the nuns did for us. I mean, you know, nuns, right? I'm old, I had nuns as teachers, it was a long time ago. Um, they actually, they, we had some kind of radical nuns, I liked them, and they had us, uh, go to 
a school in German Village and, um, and offer an after-school program for kids there, littler kids than us. We were in sixth grade, but we're talking about bitty kids, you know, kids in the first grade, second grade, play with them, help them with their homework or whatever. And I said, it allowed us to do things we had never been trusted, had never been trusted to do before, which was actually see a need and fulfill it. And that really meant a lot to me, to see that there, there were kids who were lonely and didn't have family to take care of them after school, but we were that like momentary family, occasional family that would help them and just, and just have fun with them. And so I saw, so we were shown a problem and we're shown how we could solve that problem. And so um, I became a big fan of all of these SLP service learning programs because I feel that if we can see a need and see how we can easily fulfill that need, that will, it's not gonna cure the empathy problem it's not going to cure the empathy, the lack of empathy. It's not going to cure that, but it will give us a feeling that's different inside. Like I had an impact in that kid's life, or I had an impact in that person's life, and then like that can grow. That can actually grow. And um, my husband, um, those of you who know my husband, know that I married a guy with this cr truly unique sense of humor. Um, very, very unique. In fact, when he, when he meets a new doctor, which because we're old, we do that a lot, um, he always says, please write in, in my chart notes that I have an overactive sense of humor. So it's like, okay, okay. But, um, but one of the things he says, he sets out to do every single day is he will be the person who doesn't give somebody a hard time. I'm gonna be the person that goes to this to this public place and not give somebody a hard time. I'm going to take, I'm, you know, I'm going to take extra care that I am a good part of their day. And he actually thinks about this. And so, you know, we're we're on the customer service line a lot for different problems we have, and 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 they, they invariably say, "Well, you've just been so nice about this," and we're like. Hey, you know, life's tough, man. You know? So that's just tiny way. But I'm not even sure that that's precisely what you're about there. But. Um, like you said, it's a, big, it's a big question. But one of the things I think you did hit on, and I think we've touched on it before, there's a judgment side of things. You know, my empathy is getting crowded by my judgment of oh. that person needs to be more empathetic. Or, you know, again, that difference of opinion creates that Right. That rise. Ooh, when I'm on my yeah. cushion, it's one, it's, you know, it's, I can be singular mm -hmm. and focused, yeah. but in the dynamic, these other sides of things come up. And That's really true, you know, because I, I think we, um, you know, talk, they, they talk about um, the, the, the phrase is knee-jerk reaction, right? Knee-jerk reaction, like, like, like it's like a, a reflex, a reflexive motion. And sometimes that will happen. We'll hear about people. I, I know exactly what you're talking about now. People who don't accept others, or like you say, they wanna they wanna play games with immigrants and and like hurt people, and it's it's bad. You know, it's really bad. 
and we feel judgment toward them because we see them as, um, as being wrong, but then we're, we're also in the wrong when we kind of negatively judge. But by the same token, I think if we first see that everybody's really different and not everybody comes from an empathetic place, this will help us when we start judging and, and, and so forth. My husband's sense of humor gave us a, uh, a way through this. And anybody who has not heard this story before will know it when I say, I'm going to talk to you about the wisdom of Frank. So here's the deal. My husband worked as a postman. He carried the mail for 30 years. And uh, you meet all kinds of like wild characters at the post office. I think it's that and independent trucking are the last bastion of the rugged individual in America. They're pretty wild out there on the mail route. And um, he had a coworker who actually thought he was the greatest person ever. It's not, no, I, he didn't think that Mike was the greatest person ever. He thought himself, he himself was the greatest person ever. He was his own biggest fan. And, um, and he thought that he was the only person who knew how to do anything right. And he was very judgmental, very, very judgmental. So, but by the same token, um, he had some unfortunate habits. He didn't like to bathe and he drank a lot of liquor and it kind of affected his personality and his performance of his job. But yet he thought he was like a perfect person. So. So one day he comes in from the mail route and he's kind of smells, you know, and he's kind of like unpleasant and he's cursing this and cursing that. And, and, and he says, he needs, he's, and then he said it out loud to no one in particular and everyone in general. He said, you know, I don't know what's wrong with people these days. There's just so much wrong with people these days. He said, they could be more like me if they would just try. And, and that was just, that was the aha moment. I had, you know, my husband had an aha moment. The irony of this guy, right? Ding. By the way, his name is not Frank. The name was changed to protect the guilty. Um, anyway, so, but what happened was that little aha moment led my husband to question his own judgments. It led him to question himself, his own judgments. And so, uh, and so now, sometimes my husband and I will have a conversation about specific things we disagree on. And, um, and at one point in the conversation, either he will or I will look at each other and we will say, but you know, you could be more like me if you just try. And it, it lightens the mood immediately because we're realizing that it is this push and pull. But you could be more like me if you would just try. And I have found that humor and recognition, there's there's, in humor there is this moment of human interaction and recognition that is real and it's funny and it's soft and it's allowing and it's good. So not all jokes are bad. There are some real bad ones, but you know, but that really helped us to see our own judgmentalism. And so maybe you can take a little of the wisdom of Frank on the road with you and see if it helps you to disengage a little of that. 
because that's really where it hardens, where we harden our hearts against each other because then we say, well, you're this and you're that and you're this. And we don't ever allow people to be the, the injured person who's hurting. Don't forget that great bumper sticker, mean people are suffering. So it's, somebody gave me a bumper sticker that said that. Okay, this might be our last question, I think. Oh gosh, yeah, hello. Hello. Um, when I first started shamatha practice, the inner voice that would label the thoughts thinking was very critical and a sort of aggressive voice. And I found over, uh, over time that voice has softened quite a bit. And that's been a nice change that I've noticed. But I wondered if you can go too far in that direction because it does take a certain amount of, of diligence so you're not just sitting on the cushion uh, you know, daydreaming. So I was wondering if you could speak a bit to that. I'm so glad you asked this question because it touches on two of my favorite topics, uh, which is the inner critic um, and, uh, and the word balance. And I think that, um, I think that human beings, in my experience you know, of, of meeting people and teaching meditation, what I have found is that human beings do extremes really well. But we're not good at middle. We're not good at doing anything in the middle. We're better at the extreme of this or the extreme of that, right? We're better at extremes, but because it's easy. It's like, it's either yes or no. The switch is on or off. It's easy. But the, where it gets confusing is the middle, where we have to both be this and that at the same time, and that's uncomfortable because we prefer certainty. And, and uncertainty feels, ugh, feels icky. So, um, uh, so you're right, uh, our inner critic in meditation uh, can at first sound quite harsh. And what's interesting about this, and I'm, I'm sorry it happened to you, but I'm glad that you've recognized it, is that you're right, a lot of us do we do take on some of the unkind tone and tenor of the bullies in our life. I don't know about you, but I got bullied in school, and it was hard. It, it, you know, it, it went from about when I was 11 until I was about 14. It's a long story, but anyway. And so it was only a few years of my life, but it felt like forever. But then sometimes, because it's so shocking to be bullied, it's so shocking and so unfair that sometimes we retain a memory of those harsh voices and we retain them and we think of them as being the way things should be. And, uh, and you know, after all, that's the kind of world we're in, you know. But we don't have to live in that world, really. And I'm so happy to hear that they're moderating their tone now with you. That's very good. Because that just shows what's possible for us and how we can change that. Even just a little bit, it's good. But I do think the other part of it is balancing, which is the second part of your question, which was, uh, how can I, how can, 
how can I do middle? How do I do middle exactly? How do I do that? And the, um, and the answer is, I feel, it's in the teaching itself, which is when you're doing the quiet sitting meditation, you place your attention on the breath as it comes in and goes out. And you have to have um, a little bit of a light touch, as you say, so that it's not, you know, like really harsh, which will actually, Kemper Rinpoche said, if, he says, if you're too harsh with yourself on the cushion, you're not gonna wanna sit. It's gonna be painful. And you're gonna really struggle with sitting. He says, it's better if you take a lighter touch, even if it means you miss a few, you miss a few distractions. Uh, it's, uh, I, I'll never forget when I was in three-year retreat, one of the retreatants said, well, you know, when I sit in meditation, I think of my thoughts like in the, uh, in the video game Space Invaders. Pew, 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 pew. And I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna shoot down all those thoughts. And Rinpoche said, this is not how you're supposed to do it. I, I love it. I just, I loved his sense of humor. It's just, it was just unique. And he said, no, that's not how that's supposed to work. You're supposed to notice them and then let go of them and then return your attention, you know? And it's not like you're trying to shoot down something that's evil because what's really interesting, he said that, he said eventually in meditation, what you will notice is that thoughts actually give you an opportunity to be aware and be present. Even a thought that distracts you momentarily because it is your mind moving. And when you slow your thoughts down, seeing that movement is kind of nice because it helps you get closer and closer and closer to what you really want to see, which is the moment of ignition of that thought, where that thought comes from. And then you can see it arise, look at it, and then it disappears all by itself. And then there's the spaciousness that follows that, ex that experience. And if we're busy disliking our thoughts and like chasing them away with a stick, we're not allowing ourselves the opportunity to see thoughts in a different way, which is they arise like a wave from in the ocean and they go back into the, into the ocean again and, and the ocean is calm again. And that gives us a perspective on thoughts that allows us to neither be too harsh nor to be too lenient. And so balance in learning how to apply meditative techniques, being balanced in our approach, being kind and compassionate in our approach, this is really important. So this is why I tell everyone, when you notice that you're distracted, try your best not to, not to, give, not to give in to a feeling of disappointment, but rather say, okay, that happened, and then let it go, and then gently, like you're handling a baby, you know, just gently go back to the breath and give yourself a fresh start. So that's something, the balance, not being too tight, not being too loose is something that, that takes actually weeks, months, and years to learn. But you're on the, but obviously you're kind of like on the path right now. So you're, you're, you've already noticed the change in tone. And now you're just, you practice 
uh, a, a relaxed awareness, and that's how you do it. You, you're, you have an awareness, but it is relaxed. And that's how you f do your best to not fall on one side or the other of the equation of being too harsh or being too loose. You're, you're gonna miss a bunch of stuff, but it's okay. It's okay, You'll, you know, because it's, it's, you know you're improving, so. This has been a good discussion. You guys are, you guys are great. Um, because of time, I think we should stop here, but um, I'm incredibly grateful that you all came today and that you, I, I, I love it when I come into this room because everybody who comes into this room brings their sincerity with them. You sincerely wanna work on your minds and work with your minds and become friends with your mind, you know? You wanna make friends with your mind. And, and you, bring, you bring that here. And then we are all here together doing it. And that's an incredible feeling to be with you as you do it. So I'm sure that there was something else uh, that I wanted to say about it, but I think there's a certain point beyond which talking is not useful. You know, um, let's sit for just a minute. Let's sit for just like, I mean, literally a minute and just uh, relax our mind a bit. And um, I, I love it, Minjurimbache, when he t teaches meditation, he says the first thing he, t he teaches people to do is he says, now for the next minute, don't meditate. What he's meaning is don't worry if you have a technique or don't have a technique, it's okay, just let your mind be. Thanks so much. Um, even though I didn't do an opening prayer, we can do the closing one. I love it. Uh, I love the way that Lama Adam explains the, these two prayers. Uh, one is about uh, outer happiness 
and outer understanding, and the other is about inner happiness and inner understanding. So I think it's really lovely. Uh, we'll start with the words by this merit, dedicating all of the goodness that we've accomplished here to the benefit of all those who suffer. By this merit, may all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death. From the ocean of samsara, may we free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantabhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas that I may follow in their path, I completely dedicate all this virtue. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. And, uh, and if you're interested uh, in attending the last session of Meditation Marathon tonight, you can find the Zoom link on columbusktc.org by clicking on uh, the, uh, the slider that says virtual shrine room and the Zoom link will be there. So thanks everyone, see you, see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.